Hello everyone, my name is Joanna and welcome to Sam Magazine. start reading our first short story, I'm going to tell you a little bit about this new format and Sam magazine. So a little about me. As a kid, I used to draw, write, create magazines and books. And uh, I I swear my mom loved it because I didn't think about boys. Uh, I tried to stay out of trouble. I was always creating. When I became an adult and I worked for the provincial government, I'd look through magazines and I'd think, gosh, I should create a magazine. So is it any surprise that Sam Magazine has come about? Now, what do you, what you, what you ask, what does Sam stand for? It can stand for a lot of things. You know I love illustrating scooters. You know I love uh, illustrating motorcycles. I'm an author. I'm an artist. I love promoting authors and artists. So you take the initials from those words and you have Sam. Now I think it is even more important that we promote authors and artists. And I'm just going to touch on a little bit about AI. First, not any portion of this recording can be used for any AI training or production without written permission from me, Joanna Vanderfluck. And speaking about AI, I, I, I just it's it's in my heart. I want to promote these authors and artists because I know how much work is involved in creating art and writing a story. And these creatives need to be supported. Okay, so a lot has happened over the last few weeks. I'm not continuing with the regular interview podcasts, but I'm using this platform And I am going to be reading short stories from authors. I I think it would be even great if authors read their own short stories and submitted them to me, and we we could publish them, we could broadcast them. I thought for, I remember three weeks on and off, thinking about whether I was going to pursue Sam Magazine. I'd go to bed at night, and i think, no, this is a bad idea. No, don't do it. And then I'd wake up in the morning, and I'd be thinking, yeah, let's do this. What do we have out there for indie authors, for self-published authors, to help promote them? And again, traditionally published authors 
are wanting to be a part of Sam, which I think is fantastic. Now, the more I talked with other authors about Sam magazine, it's like the enthusiasm for it grew. I talked to author Charlotte Morganti, who just released The Endgame. I talked to Winona Kent, another author. Her short story, Herd Maintenance, is in the first issue of the September issue of Sam Magazine. And it was, it was just, it grew. The enthusiasm grew. I'd have people email me and say, I want to be a part of Sam. I would have people say to me, tell me more about Sam. If I asked an artist if I could feature their artwork, they were thrilled, absolutely thrilled. So Sam Magazine, it'll be growing. It is changing. I can tell you the January issue. There will be articles about fashion. There will be articles about uh, budgeting and money. It, it's, it's exciting. And I am just so taken aback by the enthusiasm I am, I'm receiving, even from people, locals in my neighborhood who have said to me, hey, let's see if we can do a collaboration. So I'll tell you in the September issue, we have short stories from Katie Kirker. It is her story, The Cottage on Oak Court. Excellent story. Cheryl Rothert, author of the book Found, Health, Wellness, and Time in a Grocery Bag. She gives great tips on uh, food preparation and how to save money. She will be a regular contributor. So I hope you enjoy Sam Magazine. I hope you enjoy this podcast where I will be featuring short stories from authors who are in, um, in the different issues. And uh, Sam, if you want to know what it's about, it is celebrating connection, and creativity, which we need more now than we have ever needed it before. That's enough from me. I will let you enjoy the first short story, which happens to be one of mine. It is called Egyptian Queen, and it, of course, it's it's located on Vancouver Island, and uh, I hope you enjoy today's story. Egyptian Queen. Peter held the newspaper ad up to the light coming from the street lamp. Gabrielle Maisonville, the help wanted ad, said. But it didn't mention how intriguing she looked. Black hair pulled back in a ponytail and a smile that could blow out a transformer. Miss Maisonville clutched a bistro chair under each arm and wrangled them through the coffee shop door. Moulin Bleu flashed in gold print as the door swung shut behind her. Peter looked at his watch, 7.50 p.m. He had ten minutes to plead for an interview. He grabbed his accordion case and walked across the main street of Shale, dodging mud puddles and weaving between cars. He pushed the door open. A bell clanged. The woman looked up as she wiped a table. I close in ten minutes. Gabrielle Maisonville? 
She picked up a dirty plate. Who's asking? Peter Holmes. Peter put down his accordion case and held out his hand. I'm here for the job interview. The woman blew a sigh at a curl. The interview was four hours ago. Peter slipped his outstretched hand into his blue jeans pocket. There was a fatal motor vehicle accident on the Malahat, causing a ten-car pile-up. I've been stuck in traffic for the last five hours. A horrible tragedy, Mr. Holmes. Gabriel stepped around him and walked behind the counter to the open dishwasher. But there are such things as cell phones. I called, left a message with Joel. Noel? Gabrielle closed the dishwasher and straightened. Joel hadn't given her any message. She placed her hands on her hips and eyed Peter Holmes. Tall, with a Rasputin air about him, his jeans clung to his thighs, and his T-shirt had the Canadian flag on it. She glanced at the unusual suitcase at his feet. What's in the suitcase? A bomb? No, an accordion. That's worse than a bomb. Peter frowned. Sorry, are, are you a musician, Mr. Holmes? No, I'm a writer. The accordion was my father's. Gabby crossed her arms and leaned against the counter. Really? Yes. She looked at the floor and swept her foot over the tiles. My mother was a writer. She glanced at Peter. She could spin a damn good story, make you believe you were looking over Niagara Falls when you were only sitting on a splintering wood deck. Can you spin a good story, Mr. Holmes? Peter straightened. I've had a few short mysteries published. Gabrielle glanced at the digital clock on the stove. 7.55. The coffee shop could stay open a little longer. Grab a seat, Mr. Holmes. He smiled. The name's Peter. There are two Pepsis in that display case and a day-old pastrami sandwich if you want it. Peter placed his accordion case against the wall, retrieved the Pepsis and the sandwich, and placed them on the table. He pulled up a chair, twisted the cap off one bottle, and placed it before Gabrielle. Gabrielle took out a cigarette pack out of her shirt pocket. At least he had manners. After a few attempts with a lighter, she lit a cigarette. She tilted her head, blowing smoke away from Peter. Don't tell management. He smiled as he twisted the cap off his own bottle and sucked back a mouthful of the drink. He ripped open the plastic wrap on the sandwich. Is this my interview, Miss Maisonville? He took a bite. Gabrielle, or Gabby, I'm going to tell you a story, Peter. If you still want the job after you've heard it, then you can start tomorrow. He swallowed and picked up his pop bottle. And if your story sucks, then you're driving back to wherever you came from. Gabby settled in her chair, crossed her legs, and began telling the story of her father and his Egyptian queen. The coffee shop had been busier than usual. Many of the regulars stopping for a coffee during their mid-afternoon shopping. Gabby was swirling milk into a cup forming a rosetta in a latte when her father walked in. Shoulders back, chest out, 
At 75, Frank Maisonville still looked good in a golf shirt and plaid slacks. Gabrielle passed the latte to her customer and looked at her father. Gabrielle, you haven't lost your touch. Father, Gabby untied her apron and stepped around the counter. She gestured to a large brass fixture shaped like an inverted daffodil. Our new Italian espresso machine. $20,000 a piece, and Gabby now had two. Beautiful, Gabrielle. Your mother would be proud. Joel, Gabby called, two double espressos will be outside. Gabrielle hooked her arm into her father's and led him through the open French doors and out onto an unfinished patio. What do you think? She walked into the middle and turned around. The carpenter assures me it will be finished by my birthday. And look, she skipped over to the railing, at the view. Frank walked over to Gabrielle. Across from them, two mountains, dressed in evergreens, untouched by civilization, guarded the entrance into the waters known as Finlayson Arm. Mon Dieu, Gabrielle, Frank said, weaving slightly. He held on to the rail. Careful, father, it's a long drop, and the carpenter still needs to reinforce the railing. Beautiful. I've been wanting to show you this for a long time, but you've been so preoccupied with her. Frank stared at the blue water dotted with sailboats. Cleo will love it. Gabrielle's smile froze. Cleo, what does she have to do with it? Come. Joel has brought us our espressos. Her father led her to a small wrought iron table. Joel smiled and pulled out Frank's chair. Gabrielle sat across from her father. She picked up her tiny cup. What does Cleo have to do with this? Frank nodded at Joel. I'll miss him when he leaves. Gabrielle brought the espresso to her lips. Father, why is Cleo going to love the patio. He sighed. Gabrielle, why can't you two get along? Gabrielle's stomach churned. She's 23 and was an employee until she hooked up with you. How could you love someone as honest as mother and then be with her? She loves me. Your money... A breeze lifted a napkin from the table, and Gabrielle caught it. So why is Cleo going to love the patio? Her father smiled. She has brilliant ideas. For what? Hello, darling, I'm here. Gabby groaned. She heard the click of Cleo's heels, distinct, mincing, then smelled her perfume, passion. Hello, darling. The manicurist at the spa took forever. Hello, Gabby. I bought you something. Dressed in a long white wool coat and knee-high boots, Cleo flicked her black ringlets over her shoulder, then pulled a tiny box out of a white Chanel bag. It's anti-aging cream, she whispered as she slid the box toward Gabby. Great for those lines around the eyes and nose. Now look at this, 
Cleo said, her voice raised an octave as she sauntered over to the railing. This is magnificent. Cleo gripped the railing and leaned over. Gabrielle told herself to breathe. She would warn her ex-employee. It would be such a tragedy if she fell. Cleo, dear, Frank said, be careful. He shuffled over. It needs reinforcing, right, Gabby? Uh-huh, she said, sipping her espresso. I was about to tell Gabrielle about our plans for the coffee shop, Frank said, escorting Cleo back to the table. Gabrielle choked on her espresso. She thumped her fist against her chest. Excuse me? What plans? Cleo sat beside Frank, linking her arm through his. We're turning the coffee shop into a tanning salon and health bar. Isn't that exciting? Gabrielle's cup crashed on the saucer. What? A brilliant idea, Frank said. People won't have to worry about the... the... He turned to Cleo. What are they called? UV rays. Old Ronald Zapotichny had that disease. Melanoma, Cleo added. Gabby's father turned to her. Do you remember Ronald Zapotichny, Gabby? No, father. I've never met Ronald Zapot. Sure you have. Two years ago at the picnic, he went to school with his son, Bobby or Toby, or was that father? It doesn't matter. Gabby turned to Cleo. You are not. She jabbed the table, turning Moulin Bleu into a tanning salon. And health bar, Cleo nodded, sitting back as Joel placed a serpent latte in front of her. No. Gabrielle, her father, patted her hand. I know you have memories of your mother here, but you need to move on. No. Cleo needs to move on. Gabby clenched the edge of the table, her fingers slipping over the mosaic design. This coffee shop is mine. That's what Mother wanted. That's why she left it to me in her will. Frank and Cleo exchanged glances. Gabby's heart pounded. What? You see, Gabby, there's a problem with the will. What? A handwritten notation that your mother never initialed. What? So actually, dear, her father looked her in the eye. The new will is invalid, and the coffee shop is mine. Gabrielle felt sick. Her mother, taken away. Her shop, taken away. Her memories, taken away. She fumbled with her cigarette pack. The lighter shook in her hand. She finally lit a cigarette and inhaled. Gabby, honey, Cleo slurped a latte. Let's not fight. We'll have the health bar out here, and in that corner you can still serve your little coffees. Espressos, Gabrielle said, teeth clenched. She dropped back in her chair and took another long drag. She had pictured black iron tables with tourists looking over the water at the mountains, enjoying a nice latte or a frappuccino not fake-and-bake Barbie dolls fussing over tan lines. She should throw herself over the rail and put an end to her misery. She looked at her father. What about the regulars? 
We'll have new ones, Cleo chirped. But honey, Cleo waggled her finger at Gabrielle's cigarette. That nasty habit will have to go. Gabby glared, then forced her attention on her father. Father? The regulars. The people who stayed with us even after Mom died. Gabrielle, those people will not bring back your mother. No, but they could share her stories. Gabby looked at the espresso cup on the table. She and her mother had chosen those cups one Saturday afternoon. Black china with a collage of white lettering, now blurred by her tears. Gabby cleared her throat. She took one final drag of her cigarette. She would not let that bitch see her cry. Excuse me. She pushed back her chair, butting the cigarette out. I've got a coffee shop to run. Now, sitting across from Peter, the emotion still got to her. Gabby swiped her hands across her cheeks and down the rest of her Pepsi, wishing she had a little Captain Morgan to spike her soft drink. So, she looked at Peter, an empty pop bottle and a crumpled sandwich wrapper in front of him. If you're interested, I have a job for you, clearing tables and whipping up lattes. My father and Cleo are planning their wedding. I can't guarantee how long you'll be employed, a month, maybe two. She lit another cigarette. Still interested? That's it, Peter said. You're giving up? There's not a hell of a lot I can do. Peter stood. This was your mother's story. She'd think of something. Gabby swallowed. My mother isn't here to write this story. And if she was, I wouldn't have this problem. Peter picked up his accordion case. A smile tweaked the corners of his lips. I'll see you tomorrow, Gabrielle, and I'll write the ending to your tragic tale. Two weeks later, on time as usual, Peter stepped into the coffee shop, lugging his accordion case. He heard the scattered notes of a violin in the lulls of conversation and smelled the decadent aroma of pastry and glazed sugar. Gabby, her back to him, pulled a sheet of croissants out of the oven. Peter stepped behind the counter just as she turned. Good morning, Peter. You're still lugging that thing around. Lately, his accordion had taken on the personality of an albatross. I didn't want to leave it at the Crazy Eight Hotel. Can you play it? Hell no, but my father could. He was a cop, Toronto City Police. Killed on duty. I should throw the thing into Finlayson arm. No. What the hell am I going to do with it, Gabby? I can't play it. The bell above the door clanged. Hello, I'm here. Crap, Gabby whispered, jamming her oven-minted hands against her hips. I heard that, Gabrielle Masonville. I'll put the accordion in the back. Peter squeezed past. Gabby stepped up to the counter. Cleo stood in her white wool coat and black boots. Good morn. Stop the legal action, Gabby. It's killing your father. Gabby stared. I thought you were. Don't start with me, Gabrielle. Cleo flicked her ringlets over her shoulder. 
This coffee shop is mine. You know it. I know it. Soon a judge will know it. Really? I thought it was father's. Contesting the will won't get it back. Not according to my lawyer. Cleo's face flushed. She popped her hip to the side. You can call up your mother's ghost, Gabby. It won't make a goddamn difference. I'll still get this place. If you don't want to be roadkill, get off the road. Gabby popped her hip to the side. If you're scared of a fight, get out of the ring. Cleo's eyes widened. Where's Peter? He's busy. I want a serpent, and I want him serving me. Cleo clicked over to a table. Gabby clenched her fists. She'd kill her. Wrap her fingers around her neck and squeeze. Or better yet, grab her ringlets and shake her like she used to shake her rag dolls. Peter reappeared, tying his apron. Gabby, you okay? You look like you could kill someone. Her Highness wants a serpent latte prepared and served by you. Peter slid the ground-packed filter into the slot and pressed the double long-shot button on the espresso machine. Why did you ever hire her? I was desperate. Little did I know she'd make a play for my father. He's lonely, Gabby. Peter poured milk into a stainless steel pitcher. Why couldn't he have found someone his own age? Peter slipped the pitcher under the nozzle. It doesn't matter if you're 17 or 70. He cranked the knob, frothing the milk. The hissing drowned out any sound. He removed the pitcher and swiped the nozzle with a damp cloth. Men are suckers for a pretty face. He tilted the cup with one hand and poured the steam milk into it, going from side to side. Slowly, the twisting shape of a serpent emerged. Beautiful, Gabby said. You're a natural when it comes to latte art. Peter smiled. So why aren't you gushing over her? Peter looked over the display case. Cleo was slathering another coat of pastel pink onto her lips. I have better taste. His eyes focused on the cup. He walked over and placed it on the table. Four fifty, Cleo. Cleo snapped her compact shut and held up a five-dollar bill. Keep the change, gorgeous. Peter took the bill and Cleo grabbed his hand. Sit with me. I'm working. Come on, Peter. She patted the chair next to hers. Please. Peter glanced at Gabby. She was placing another sheet of croissants into the oven. What do you want, Cleo? Moulin bleu. By week's end, it'll be mine. Does Gabby know? God, no. Cleo stroked his hand. I want you to be the bartender for my after-hours martini bar. I'll show you how to make a caramel green apple martini with lots of sticky caramel. Peter pulled his hand away. I work for Gabby. Cleo snickered. <laughs> yeah, right. Look gorgeous. Forget about Gabby. The girls all hire will lovingly hang their G-strings on your tabs. Not interested, Cleo. He turned. Cleo held his arm. Let go. She stood. Think about it, Peter. Hot. She trailed her finger up his chest. Sticky. She pressed against him. 
caramel. You and I will kick out the Geritol generation and take over this place. Cleo, Friday, Peter, I'll be back. Cleo sauntered toward the door. Peter rubbed the back of his neck. Cleo was going to screw Gabby over. The Egyptian queen didn't like her serpent? Peter flinched. Gabby stood behind him. She paid this time. Peter gazed out the glass door as Cleo strutted across the street. He knew people back east, people who owed him a favor. But he had moved out here to get away from them. Peter, what's wrong? Nothing, he rubbed Gabby's shoulder. Nothing I can't take care of. Lightning crackled over the mountains as a wall of rain moved across Finlayson Arm. Peter leaned on the patio railing. The dark water below was eerily calm, despite the lightning. Gabby had left early for a meeting with her lawyer, so he would have to close. He had dragged out his father's accordion, intending to toss it over, but he couldn't. Peter pinched the inner corners of his eyes. It had been his associates who had murdered his father. Men Peter had trusted. Cleo reminded him of those people. He had to get rid of her. Killing her would be easy, but his conscience wouldn't let him implicate Gabby that way. He'd buy Cleo off. Every woman like that had her price. Hey, gorgeous. Peter straightened and turned. Cleo stood in the doorway, dressed in high-heeled boots and a bulky coat. Planning on serenading me with a little polka? How long have you been standing there? Cleo snickered. She clicked over to him, hips swaying. She looked and smelled like a cheap tramp. You're going to accept my offer. Her hand slid down his shirt to the button of his jeans. Or are you a hard negotiator? He knocked her hand away. Sit down, Cleo. Whatever you say. She positioned herself at the table nearest the railing. Peter sat to her right, gazing at Finless and Arm. No sailboats, no fishermen pulling in crab traps. What's your answer? Cut the crap, Cleo. You're after the old man's money. I have great plans, Peter. But first, I need you to get rid of Gabby. Break her precious little heart. The old guy? Well, I've been saving myself. Cleo placed her hand over her chest. For our honeymoon. After our first night of sex, he'll be pushing up the dirt, just like his buddies. Then it's just you and me. I'll give you ten grand to leave shale. But Peter, Cleo, you're a venomous, self-serving bitch. I want you gone. You bastard. You want the money. That's why you're all over Gabby. You're scared I'll get it instead of you. I'm not after Gabby, and I don't need the money. Peter leaned forward. Take the ten grand and leave. Go to hell. Peter lunged, knocking the table onto its side. His fingers circled Cleo's neck. She clawed his hand. Peter, get the hell out of shale. Tonight, you're... Choke, are you going to leave? Her pulse beat under his thumbs. He squeezed tighter. Or do I have to kill you? Okay, I'll... I'll leave. 
Peter let go and stepped back. Cleo gasped. Her hate-filled eyes narrowed. She then jumped and kneed him in the groin. Peter groaned. His knees buckled, and he fell. You asshole. She kicked him in the face. He spun back, his head hitting the rail, and fell face down. Black spots. Blood oozing down his face. How dare you ruin my plans, Cleo shouted. Peter pushed himself up on one elbow. He heard Gabby. Peter, are you here? He had to warn her. He pulled himself to his knees. The railing slanted. Gab, look who's arrived. Daddy's little princess. Cleo stepped next to Peter, her boots inches from his hand. Gabby walked on to the patio. She saw Peter and the blood. She looked at Cleo. Get out. Make me. Cleo stomped on Peter's fingers. He screamed and slumped. With both hands, Gabby grabbed the accordion case and swung. It flew over Peter's head, missing Cleo and nearly pulling her over. Nice try, princess. Gabby swung again, nailing Cleo in the stomach. Cleo stumbled, then toppled over the railing, screaming. Gabby dropped the case and darted over to the railing. Cleo dangled above the dark water. Gabby, please, I beg you. Gabby, no, Peter said, pushing himself up. You'll go over. She hated Cleo. Yet. Gabby leaned over and with one hand grabbed Cleo's wrist. With her other hand, she anchored herself to the railing. It groaned under their combined weight. Gabby, Cleo pleaded, her hand clutching her arm. Don't let go. Gabby stared into Cleo's frantic eyes. Cleo's life was in her hands. For her father's sake, she had to save her. Help me, Cleo cried. Gabby's arm trembled. Blood pounded in her ears, and the rain pelted her face. Her arm felt as if it were being ripped from its socket. Her fingers wet and cold, Cleo's wrist began to slide from her grip. Gabby, no! Gabby's toes lifted from the patio. She couldn't hold her. Cleo would take her over. Peter! Gabby shouted, looking past Cleo at the dark water. The wooden railing shifted. Peter! Gabby! Cleo's legs flailed. Peter struggled to his feet. Then Gabby heard the crack like a tree splitting in half. The railing gave way. Cleo screamed as she plummeted, and Gabby was tackled sideways, knocked back onto the patio, Peter on top of her. Peter! I'm here, Gabby, his voice spoke in her ear. I'm here. His shirt soaking, Gabby's hands clung to his shoulder blades. She opened her mouth, swallowing gulping breaths. Peter sat up, pulling her against him. You're safe, Gabby. The railing was gone. Only splintered posts remained and a clearer view of Finless and Arm. Gabby dug her heels into the patio, pushing back, but Peter held her in place. It's okay, Gabby. She clutched his arm. Cleo! She's dead. Drowned. The image of Cleo, 
eyes wide, mouth open, fingers clawing the air, would be permanently imprinted in Gabby's mind. She had tried to save her. Gabby looked at Peter, the cut along his jaw still bleeding. Peter, it's over, Gabby. It's over. We have to call. No one can know. Listen to me. They won't believe you didn't do this deliberately. Go home. You were never here. But she's, she tripped over the accordion and went over. I got these, Peter gestured at his face, trying to save her. He took Gabby by the shoulders and gave her a little shake. You were never here. Gabby looked at the mountains and dark water, scarred by Cleo's death. Why lie if she had done nothing wrong? But maybe Peter was right. Okay. I was never here. And that's it, people. That is Egyptian Queen. It was a story written by myself. Oh, about 20 years ago. It originally appeared in the Crime Writers of Canada, Dead in the Water Anthology, many, many years ago. I'd say 20 years ago. So I hope you enjoyed that story. And tune in next week, where I'll be reading another story. Bye-bye. <music>